Good morning. It's so uh, good to see so many of you. We're uh, starting to get into the summer months, so thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, as Emmanuel said, it is so good to see you here. Uh, my name's Douglas. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just uh, going to be continuing uh, through the book of Joshua, as we have done for the last couple of weeks, and uh, we'll do for another couple of weeks together. Uh, this is just what we gather to do each week. You've seen we've sat under uh, and looked at the Bible together, we've sung hymns from the Word of God, we've read the Word of God together, and now we're going to sit and hear uh, from the Word of God together as well. This is just what we do week in, uh, week out here every Sunday, so thank you for joining us. Uh, We're going to be covering some big chunks of text, nine chapters this morning uh, in Joshua, and we're going to see how God keeps His promises keeps his promises to the people of Israel, they are his chosen people, and how he has given them the land that he promised. And now they need, it's their task to divide it up amongst themselves and receive the inheritance that he provides for them. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 13, and we're going to begin there. Now in a small village in Scotland, there sits a double garage packed full of bits and bobs. It's packed with books and old clothes, toys from years ago, no doubt a valuable beanie baby or some kind of other forgotten collector's item. And right there in the corner is a nondescript black golf bag. And in that sits some golf clubs that you would surely throw out if you got your hands on them. Uh, Some of the clubs are made of wood, Uh, Some have metal heads on, they're so worn and old that they don't even carry a a shiny logo or even a famous name, let alone uh, a golf club number anymore. The rubber grips have completely worn away, lost many years ago, faded and broken. These clubs, to you, if you got your hands on them, would look like nothing. Now, my father and I love golf. We play golf together. We watch golf together. It's what we did last month when I was back in Scotland. It's what I'm going to be doing with him in just a couple of weeks' time. And now these old clubs in the corner, they are his, and they will be mine. He played with them, and I played with them growing up, and they truly are a part of my own inheritance. But their value to you is lost. You would probably replace them, if not likely just throw them away. Now, if you've read these chapters in Joshua this week, you might feel the same way. That would be because you cannot fully understand the significance, the weight, the incredible joy and excitement that the original audience would have had about these nine chapters. The promise, the faithfulness, the deliverance, and the division of all the lands among God's people. I urge you just to to concentrate and hope to show you the great value of these Israelite lists tucked away in this small corner of the Old Testament. But there, as you look and examine, I hope you'll see the value in what God is doing and delivering and all that he has promised to his people. I think the main point of our text this morning, 
And so the main point for our time together is God promises good gifts and he always delivers. God promises good gifts and he always delivers. The text, I think, sits in three sections, so we're going to have three points for our time together. The first point is receive what is yours in chapter 13. Receive what is yours. And we're going to look at a gift from God in chapters 14 to 19. A gift from God. And our third point, and the shortest, it is for God's glory. Chapters 20 to 21. It is for God's glory. So let's look at our first point. Receive what is yours. Just look there at uh, 13 verse 1 with me. I just want to pause there. I think it's just a really funny start. It just really cracks me up. The narrator just tells us what God already says. That's just funny to me. It just was a, a, a funny reflection as I looked at the text. But straight away we see that Joshua is telling us is of old age. This statement is just a, is a foreshadowing. We'll see it again next week in 23 verse 2. We hear it in 1 Samuel 8 verse 1 and we, see, we hear it also in 1 Kings 1 verse 1. Old age comes. No leader lasts forever. This is just a big neon sign being held up for us here. This is, this is a transition. Something is changing. Joshua is not everlasting and there's more to come and friends there is more to be done but what we thought would happen has not yet yet happened the other lands have not all been claimed and captured yet and we're about to see in these next few chapters what is coming may be a little bit disappointing more will have to be done by the next round of people the work is not finished and potential failure lies ahead But what we will see is that Genesis 12, verse 7, is true generations later. But also right now in our verses, lots has to be done. Lots has to be achieved. But there were lands surrounding Israel that still needed to be taken. And it was Yahweh. And as we'll see, it's Yahweh and not Joshua that was going to do this. I think the reminder here for the people, and I think it's also the reminder for us today, is that Yahweh is the one who will accomplish his plans and not his leaders. No one and no leader is perfect. God will use who and what he wants to bring his victory. I remember years ago hearing a preacher say God uses the availability of his people, not the ability of his people. God uses the availability of his people, not the ability of his people. Friends, we are called to be a people that are available to God and not just being used because of some incredible skill or ability that you think you have. You might even have it. Joshua was used after Moses and now, as we begin this section, reminded of the fragility of Joshua so quickly now. In his old age, probably around 90 years old. And that God's plans are not threatened because Joshua is getting old and will one day die. God's plans are not threatened. Look there at verses 6 and 7 with me. Look there at the uses of I. 
what God will do, what he will do himself, how he is driving them out, or he is instructing. This is crucial for us. This is God's work. This is God's work by his own hand. This is God speaking. This is the God of the universe orchestrating and describing what will happen. And so we know that it will be so. Our chapters today almost read like a a heavenly decree or the minutes from some sort of heavenly board meeting. Put this here, give that there, divide that among the mountains, send that along that river, around the shoulder of that town and around the side of that valley over there. Okay, done. What? An immediate question is, what about the Levites? We see here that they do not receive an inheritance. It's mentioned twice. We'll look at what they receive a little bit later, but in Numbers and Deuteronomy, we read more about this. This tribe had a a special designation and repeatedly is told that they are to care for God's people, that their inheritance is that he is their inheritance. We're going to look more at that in a little bit. Look down with me at Chapter 13, verses th- verse 13. I think there's just a lot in this little verse there. The people have done so well, as we read in the first 12 verses, but they just didn't continue. They've done well in battles. They've done well in various crises. But after that initial splash of energy and having done what they really had meant to do, they've not followed through. They've not finished the task they were given. Surely this is the same for us each week and each month. Maybe you feel the same after you've got back from a big conference like I do sometimes. Maybe that was focus week for you. You go, you're fired up, you're charged, but then the afterglow wears off. Maybe you feel that after growth group. Maybe you feel that after Sunday mornings or a good discipleship meeting. Okay, you're meant to feel some of those things. You should be encouraged by those things. But what I'm hitting at is just this attempt to ride a a kind of Christian roller coaster to find the next Christian high of the Christian life. Is your life characterized by a roller coaster of emotions and trying to hit a different high each week, each month? Friends, I really want to just help release that burden for you. There are, of course, good days and bad days. We should be real about that. But I think the Christian life should be characterized by regular, faithful, and ordinary growth and maturity. There are going to be little boosts along the way. It's similar to, I think, raising children. We see them become teenagers and then adults. And now and again, you're not going to see someone for a little bit. And really, yes, you will say truthfully, wow, haven't you grown? And they have, and that's great. But in the everyday, it it is just getting up, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, going about their day, and heading back to bed. And this is the same with us as Christians. It's getting up each morning. It's being a people of the Word. Being a people that pray. And then we go about our day, and then we head to bed again. It's not complicated. I think it can be so tempting to be in the pursuit of huge flashes and wild victories, but it's dealing 
with what God has placed in front of you each day. Persevering until what he has placed in front of you is done. I can't help but think of my grandmother, Granny B, Catherine Ballantyne, that's her name. She's 85 now. I know that as a widow for the last 30 years, she gets up every day. She eats her toast with a cup of tea, probably half a grapefruit. And how she reads her Bible, she prays regularly, and has done her whole adult life. She loves her church, loves the Lord, and as she comes to the latter years of her life, I can simply see through it that all of that has been shaped by perseverance in the faith and faithfulness in what she has been called to do. As Christians, this should be the same for us. That is not what we see described in 1313. It says, yet the people of Israel did not do what they were meant to do. I think 13 is a a helpful list for the Israelites and for us. A reminder of who God is, what he has done and how he keeps his promises and he delivers. As our verses this morning reflect back and record all the places and kings and lands that Yahweh, that God has delivered, they are to bring to mind, to jolt the memory of the Israelites. Remember, remember, remember who God is. Remember. As you look back over your life, you, friends, can do exactly the same. You should do the same as the Israelites here. You, too, have a list of all that God has done in your life. There have been valleys and gorges, plateaus and realms, towns and countries, villages and banks of rivers of your life that all serve as reminders of what only God could do in his infinite power and in his grace. Stop and remember those. Think back and reflect. Maybe even try that this week in your quiet time. Reflect about all that God has brought you through, all that you've seen, the person that you were, the person you now are, how he has changed you in his power and in his grace. What it's meant to do is not just be grateful for where you are or to be amazed at the, the salvation you've been given, Like the Israelites that are reminded at the end of chapter 13, it's so that they and and you will realize that God is enough. Not what you receive, but who you receive it from. Friends, he alone is worthy of our worship, not the gift that he gives to us. Think back for a moment to, to a birthday or a Christmas that you had growing up or maybe a special gift that you received from a loved one, I assume that you did not and have not ever loved that thing more than the person who gave it to you. It should be the same with God. It should be the same with God. Now we see the Levites again in chapter 13 do not receive a land. They do receive Yahweh. What belongs to him and it is from him. Yahweh alone is to be their portion. Yahweh is to be their satisfaction. 
It's the same for us. Yes, the Israelites, we will see, receive their inheritance and the land, but they are not to want and desire more for that, more than they do God himself. It's all for him. It's all for his glory. We come to our second point. It is a gift from God. You know, look at chapters 14 to 19. It is a gift from God. I really point to is just, uh, and these chapters just nicely framed for us between two spies. If you look uh, at the chapters running from Caleb in uh, 14, all the way through to Joshua in 19, uh, receiving his inheritance in the last three verses there. It's at the beginning and the end of these chapters that we're going to be spending the majority of point two, uh, just with little stops along the way to see what's going on. So look there at 14 uh, verses two to five, uh, two and five. What do these two verses tell us? You'll see there, if you're looking at them, the same phrase twice. As the Lord commanded in two and as the Lord commanded in five. What what does that show us? What is happening? What is going on? We see they were obedient. What about obedience then? What and why is this included? So much of what we're going to see in these chapters seems strange to us and trivial and as I said at the beginning, kind of tucked away at the back in the corner of this Israelite garage for us. But we're, we're picking it up because it's here. It's in the Bible. It's in the word of God. It's here for a reason. God wants the reader of this text to see the obedience in the big things like Jericho, but in the small and tiny details of our lives. It all matters before our holy God. God is sovereign. Here it is he that gives the land and we see that he gives it by lot. That means he has determined the extent of all that each tribe receives. Friends, do do you doubt that in your own life? Have you stopped to wonder even here why these lands were being divided? What's the reason? Why is this even happening? It's so that the land would be blessed. That after Canaan was captured and delivered into their hands, that the people there would live in it. That the land and the people would be blessed. Blessed by God through his people there that he had delivered. We see his promises going out and going forward. And his people wrapped up in that and at the center. God is clearly the one choosing to do this. He has all the means at his disposal. And yet here, he's chosen for an imperfect, clearly imperfect people to do his work. I really hope some of that sinks in and sounds both surprising and also familiar for us this morning. Friends, this is the exact situation we find ourselves in. Who has God chosen for his great gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ to go out through? This his message, it's his offer of salvation and deliverance from eternal punishment. But God has chosen every Christian to do this. 
I get the great privilege of standing up here regularly and reminding us of this good news. But friends, you too, each one of you, if you're a Christian here this morning, you too carry that amazing and truly awesome message and hope of Jesus Christ into your homes, into your families, into your workplaces, for some of you even to your home countries at some point, or to some foreign land where you too will be a sojourner in a strange place. But don't, please don't get it round the wrong way. This is not just my job, or not just the job of the elders. We are placed here to to guide and help and equip you for the great commission that God has called every Christian to. That means you. A word here about the tribes. It's going to sound a little bit confusing, but all in all, we see the number of tribes is 12. There are two and a half tribes that that we know already seated beyond the Jordan. Take from this the Levites who we know are not going to be given a physical inheritance and must keep themselves separate from the rest. We're now about to read about the nine and a half tribes that are left, one of which contains two of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. They form one tribe, so we're left with 12 in all. We have the 2.5 plus the 9.5 to make the 12 for us. We circle back to the lots that we're reading about. They are doing all of this here as God has commanded, as we saw in verses 2 and 5. And in casting lots, they are knowing and trusting that God is in control of all things, that it's He who has determined their inheritance. Do you know, friends, that we too, that's you and that's me, our inheritance is also determined by God? I wonder if you really know and understand this. As Ephesians 1, 11, we heard it this morning, read for us, says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Friends, if you're a, a Christian, your inheritance has been obtained. It is yours. Like the tribes here, God already knew where they would be and what they would do. There is nothing outside of his control. There is nothing beyond his sight. He has ordered each of your steps and every one of your days. He knows when you'll lie down and he knows when you will get up. Friend, he has chosen to save you according to his will. He has chosen to save you according to his will. Is God's mysterious choice that he's chosen you and he's saved you he didn't decide that this morning as he thought about or reflected on your week as he saw how well you did at work or uh, what a great friend or housemaid or husband or wife you were decided all of this before time before anything about you. This was all God's sovereign choice. And here, 
Back in our text, we see Joshua and Elysia, the, the chief priests, making the decision. But it was the true and greater Joshua, Jesus Christ. Ah, Joshua that came and died on the cross and rose again on the third day, choosing to do all of this for you in his good grace and mercy, providing a way for you to be reconciled to God after your sin and your rebellion. He has come and he has conquered and he has prepared the land for us, each of us Christians here this morning to to step into, to dwell in, to find peace and abide forever and ever. And this is how we can sing like we just did. Great is thy faithfulness and declare to the watching world that salvation belongs to our God. What a mystery. What a glorious truth for us this morning. Now friends, in chapter 14, we now come to Caleb. What about him? What happened? We see that he was the most faithful of the previous generation, along with Joshua. He's given here special attention. We see his inheritance being given first. All of this such specific and amazing de- detail all the way through. Friends, this is a historical record for us. This is important. The details are so crucial for accuracy and to show the level of care and the level of attention to detail that is given to these things. God cares about the tiny details. Not just here, but in your life. He cares about the tiny details. And none of those are outside of his control. Look there, Joshua 14 and uh, verses 8 and 9. What we read of Caleb is to be a model to others as we see, I think, the repetition of the phrase that he wholly followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord. To show the others what they had to do and how they are to do it, boldly trusting God, seeing how he alone has delivered them and has even done this to their greatest enemies. The Anakites were, were this at Caleb's time. It is remarkable what happened. He knows that Moses was speaking for God, and so he particularly references here what Moses said and did. He said, Moses, the man of God, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses swore God had promised because of Caleb's obedience and God keeping his promises. Apart from Joshua, Caleb is the the oldest man in the whole people and he takes his people with him and claims what is his because he knows who promised it. He walks confidently here in the promises of God. He knows what God has said and what God has promised will come to pass and so he can ask bold questions of those in charge. He knows that nothing can change these. His confidence is in God and nothing else. Friend, what about you this morning? Where do you place your confidence? Where does your confidence lie? On whom is it placed? Is it on you? Is it on yourself? Or is it on the King? King Jesus, the Lord of Lords. Is it on God? Friends, to trust 
God, as we see with Caleb, results in years and decades of confidence that one day you will receive the land and that the rest is yours. One day, hopefully many years from now, what has been promised for you will be made sight. You will see God and you will spend eternity with him. But that is only the case for those that trust him. Those that have not trusted themselves and built and pursued their own kingdoms. Those who recognize their helpless state. Those who recognize their need for salvation and cling only to the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is, friends, no other way to be saved. Please hear that this morning. There is no other way to be saved. Like Caleb, you will walk in the wilderness. You will have to go through trials and experience heartache and pain. But friend, fix your eyes on the promises of God, for they will never, ever change. He will never change. There's nothing that in this world that can separate you from him, nothing that can tear you apart, even when life seems hopeless or we lose our jobs or we lose someone that we love or we just have nothing left. Trust him. He is worthy. Of course, I've looked at how God has blessed Israel in this way and will bless the nations, but we also see in the middle of this section how he blesses Caleb, and then three others individually in these slightly unusual individual discourses. Before we look at the rest of 13 and 19, what happened with Debir and Caleb's daughter, I want to, to pause and look wonderfully, I think, at what happens in verse 14 of chapter 15. Caleb has to drive out three sons, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai. These are the same men mentioned in Numbers 13 to 22 when Caleb is first in Hebron. 45 years later, he now drives these men out in his old age so that Israel can take possession. As I've said, these small details are deliberate. They're exciting. And they have these packed in these chapters for a reason. As you read your Bible, friend, know that every single word, every sentence, every paragraph has been chosen by God to be there by himself. It's there for a reason. Caleb is ready to fight and be obedient, even in his old age. There in chapter 15, verses 13 to 19, we then read about Debir being given to Caleb's daughter. Caleb had offered his daughter Aksha to whoever would go and capture Debir. A man called Othniel, he did this, and so we see that Debir is assigned to Othniel and Aksha. Othniel was Caleb's nephew, and we see that this land and this city is kept within the family. That's a really important for us. We'll see again in Joshua in our next example also. But also, if you look and think back to Rahab, that even in this point in history, in the Old Testament, we see special mention given to the women within the community. These ladies are not forgotten and far from it. We see Aksha being given what is rightfully hers. I want you to see, and this account is the same, that women 
are important and completely included in what God is doing through his people. We see bold and godly women coming before all officials and old men in their community to claim and receive what God has promised. For they too know that he is faithful. Rahab knew this. Aksha knew this. this. The woman who pursued Jesus in the crowd just to touch his cloak knew this. Ladies here this morning, please see how important you are within the people of God and within God's plans. Please see the value God has placed on his sons and his daughters and how he uses both for his glory. I'm so grateful for the the godly women in this nation and especially in this church. As we continue through chapters 15 and 16 and 17, we see a familiar format given for each tribe in the lands they received, how it's divided, and then the cities included in this. There is no doubt. This is official and binding and specific. These are important lists with history and specific geography involved. In chapter 15, for example, we see 122 cities mentioned. Some that are given to the Levites or become safe cities or border towns. These are all specific. God knows every one. At the beginning of 17, we have the allotment for Manasseh. The side note, I think just through these chapters, just name after name that I really hope in the coming years we see in the church baby announcements. Just, yeah, especially the ladies here mentioned as the daughters of Zelophehad. What great girls' names. We've got Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcar, Terza. Wonderful. Just something to think about, just saying. So there, the beginning of 17, we have the sons named. And then in verses 3 to 6, we see how this time it's five daughters that receive five portions that they are due. It's not five daughters sharing a portion, but five ladies receiving what is theirs. They have a legitimate claim. This is why we see their, their full heritage laid out in verse 3. There's a reason there for this, for all of this. It's also a reason why Eliezer and Joshua are given their full legal titles. Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. This is a legal comment. This is serious what is being done and what God is giving to them. They're asking for what is theirs, what was promised. These five sisters... What a beautiful image. They're not asking too much or too little, but simply what Moses, and as God's servant and mouthpiece, what God has promised. And of course, God grants it to them. Back in Numbers, we see that God created a new rule among his people after the daughter's original request. God cares that men and women receive what is rightfully theirs, So here in Joshua, years later, yet again, I hope you see this repetition, Joshua is obeying the word of God. God has spoken. And so it must be. God knows 
what he has promised. And it's deeply important. As he has promised, so it will be. These chapters really are, I hope you see some of that, a solemn and serious occasion. They're really like a father's will almost being read out after his death. The family kind of gathered round the lawyer and the eldest child, making sure that everything is fair and right, that each person receives what is theirs. As we move through chapters 17 and 18, and the people meet at Shiloh, and Joshua asks the people in 18 verse 3, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? People are preparing to receive this gift from God of their inheritance and they're ready to receive it. This happens in a specific way that he has prescribed. Joshua repeats again, God has given it to you. It's yours. How are you going to respond? Friend, let me ask you the same thing. What will you do? do? Do you accept it? Do you accept this inheritance that God has given you? Do you enjoy it? Do you live In the good of that, friends, what God has said, he will do. What God has said, he will do. Take him at his word. Trust him. Don't put it off and deny it. Live in the good of it. The fourth stopping point in this middle section, having begun with one spy, Caleb, we now turn to another, Joshua, right at the end of Chapter 19, look there in verses 49 to 51, where he asks for Timnath Sarah. This city, city kind of tucked away in a quiet location, tells us something, but so does the fact that all of this comes after everyone else has received what is theirs. Joshua is a great and wonderful leader, God's chosen man, and we see that As his leadership is winding down and coming to a close, the city that he inherits is a city where he will die. And that, to the end, he has lived in obedience to God and service to his people. Wonderfully, this also describes the, the four senior pastors I've known as I've been a member of four different churches since I first became a Christian. Joel and Mark and Greg and Josh, men that love God, men that obey his word, follow what God has said and put God's people before themselves. Friends, please pray for the elders here. If you're a leader or desire to be a pastor one day, let this be your bold prayer this morning. Ask God for this heart. The framing of this whole section beginning with Caleb and ending with Joshua we see the simple biblical truth for them and also for us that those who obey the Lord will receive and enjoy their inheritance those who obey the Lord will receive and enjoy their inheritance it's God's great gift to his people he wants our obedience over many many decades notice at this point in 19 that all of this is done with God and before God. You see that there in verse 51. We begin and end with the two 
oldest and most faithful men in the camp receiving what God has promised after a lifetime of faithfulness and obedience. Not perfection by any means, but with God's help, obedience. Friends, let this be the prayer of your life. We end with a short third point. It's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. Just looking at chapters 20 and 21 as we turn to the final lands and safe cities in chapters 20 and 21, we see that these lands are for God's glory. They're to be lands of peace and justice, lands of worship and devotion to him. You see the Levitical cities. Priests are to be spread out. The priests cared for. They're looked after. They're given 48 cities or villages across the lands. And so each tribe ends up with four Levitical cities, including the safe cities. The land was God's. He was dwelling in the land. And this is what made it the promised land. This is why it is a sacred place. He is holy and he is sacred. And these safe cities are established. We learn in Numbers 35 so that the people do not defile the land. For it's the Lord's. We read Numbers 35 to 34. The Lord dwells there in their midst. And so the land must be kept sacred. As a land like the UAE is today, there was blood to be paid for of the spilling when between two families. When blood was spilled between two families, blood must be spilled. So these cities were set up to rightly bring about atonement. We see safe cities and priests spread out across the land so that the people worshipped God as they should. So that they could receive their inheritance, that the priests were to rely on and enjoy their inheritance, which is the Lord in his land. Where the Lord dwells, friends, justice and worship should abound. This is what should characterize his people as they live in obedience to him. It's God who has given this land, and so it's God who must receive the glory. Chapter 21, we see finally the full designation given to the Levites from every tribe. All done again as the Lord commanded. Their inheritance has been explained and anticipated, and we see that God uses each of the tribes to care for and provide for the priests as they give their best, as they tithe their tithe, so the priests are able to live in the land and lead the people in their important roles of worship. The Levites were called to be a people set apart, a royal priesthood, a a people who were to be salt and light in the land they were given. This final chapter ends with three fascinating verses right at the end, chapters 21 And verses 43 to 45. As you look there, just I think a few key words should immediately jump out to you. There's the word land, the word swore, the word promise, the word rest. Look there and you'll also see the word all used six times. As we read a summary of all the Lord has done in all the land against all their enemies and how he has kept all of his promises. He has kept all of his promises. What about that last 
verse and that last sentence. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Friends, so much more than a set of golf clubs in the back of your parents' garage. God has given you your inheritance in Christ Jesus. If you have repented of your sin and trusted him for your salvation, he is the great high priest. He is the judge and he is the deliverer. Trust in him. He has promised and he has delivered all who trust in him. The Lord is completely good. The Lord is completely faithful. These details are here for you in these chapters. Every square inch, every hillside, every town and tribe, after centuries and centuries, fulfilled. God's promises fulfilled. God has done it. There's nothing he cannot do and nothing he cannot achieve. God has kept his promises to his people and he has made a way for them. He has provided the victory and friends, all of this points to God making a way for his final victory for his chosen people where he will provide a land for them. It will be with him and his people will find their rest and their satisfaction and their inheritance in him. For that is what he has promised. 2 Corinthians 1.20 reads, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Friends, remember the eternity with him that awaits just beyond the river where other saints have already gone, already home to their perfect rest. Long for and look forward to that day. 